Are you a current or future physician assistant wanting to learn more about finances? Then join me on this journey to become a PA the FI way. Hi, my name is Kat and I'm a practicing certified physician assistant who will be your host. It took me five years after I started practicing medicine as a PA to thoroughly dive into my personal finances after I discovered the concept of financial independence. I want to use what I have learned to help you avoid some of the financial mistakes that I have made while sharing some of the financial wins that I have had along the way. Join me as we discuss financial strategies to guide you to becoming a physician assistant on the way to financial independence. Welcome back, everyone, to the PA the FIA podcast. I'm your host, Kat, and I am so excited to have another very special guest on the show today. We have Colleen joining us, and Colleen is a registered dietitian as well as a PA and a fellow PA podcast host. So, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Kat. I'm so excited to be here and chat with you about this today. Yeah, me too. I think that we're going to have a really interesting conversation today. And for the listeners that don't know you already from your podcast or from social media, could you share a little bit more about yourself? Sure, I'd love to. So I kind of have a unique path to becoming a PA. I actually became a registered dietitian first, and I worked as a dietitian for about five years prior to then going to PA school. And I loved working as a dietitian. You know, it's such a great background to have uh, prior to any kind of advanced training, whether it's med school, PA school, nurse practitioner school, whatever, because nutrition is so core and foundational to medicine. And so I worked in a variety of clinics. I owned my own private practice for weight management. And then I actually worked in an outpatient clinic in pediatrics. And that's where my love for pediatrics was sparked. And I just felt like I wanted to do more and I had more to give to my patients. So then I applied to PA school and that was in 2015 and I graduated in 2017. So ever since then, I have worked in outpatient pediatrics and I will never work anywhere else. I love working in pediatrics. So I'll, I'll be a PD forever. That's awesome. What do you love the most about working in peds? So many things. My favorite is because I am kind of goofy and silly and you know fun all the time that you can just be goofy with kids and they don't think you're weird. They love it. I also love that as the pediatric primary care provider, you have so much time with them and you are part of their life in such a developmental stage and process. And you get to see so many changes and so many things happen. And I feel as though you have such an impact in their life as you are the one who's helping establish that provider-patient relationship. And it's just a cool, unique role that you get to have in setting that foundation between the provider and the patient. I also love that they're just they, they like coming to the doctor. You know, they like coming to the office despite the fact that there's vaccines and they're always really scared of it. Most of them are super excited because, you know, they have their own doctor kit and everybody has a stethoscope at home. And so you really do just get to do a lot of play interaction with kids. And lastly, they, they don't make things up for the most part. The younger kids don't really lie about how sick they are or how bad their symptoms are. As I found in adults, sometimes us adults can kind of maybe over-dramatize some symptoms and kids won't do that. You know, you've got a kiddo with 104 degree fever and they're like, no, I feel okay. And, you know, they're just, they're just so sweet and they're so full of life. That's wonderful. It takes personalities of all sorts to work in the different specialties we have in medicine. So that's awesome that you found your niche, so to speak. 
Yeah. Oh, for sure. I talked to some of my friends who are in surgery and I'm like, I don't know how you do it. I can't stand there for six hours. I couldn't do it. And they say the same. They're like, I don't know how you work with kids. They're always crying (laughs) and the parents can be difficult. So it's so true. You know, we're all different. And I think that's what makes medicine really fun. Definitely. And then you have utilized your knowledge and your skills to launch a podcast called Exam Room Nutrition. And I'm so excited to talk about nutrition on a budget or discuss time savings as well as money saving hacks that we can share today with the listeners. So thanks so much for sharing the wealth of knowledge with us today. I am so excited to get into this because you know, it's a different spin on for your podcast. And I know you talk about, you know, finances and being money wise and food shopping and food preparation is actually a huge part of all of our budgets. So I think that this is going to be a really fun spin for your podcast and also for me as well too. You know, on my on my podcast, Exam Room Nutrition, my goal is to teach clinicians how to have better conversations about nutrition because let's be real, in PA school, you didn't get any nutrition classes at all, but you're probably asked nutrition questions every single day. And so that's really the goal of my, my podcast is to just give kind of that core foundational nutrition knowledge that you need to better care for your patients. So I can't wait to talk about how we can use nutrition and money management. I love that. It's going to be such an interesting conversation. So let's first talk about how you would suggest that we first find out where the money is going on our day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month budgets in regards to food. This is where you have to start, right? I mean, a lot of people don't really think about their budgets in considering the small things, but that's really what adds up. And what I found is a lot of people forget about the little trips to Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts And we don't always consider the lunches that we buy, you know, in our nine to five day job that we're, you know, having to buy every single day. And so I always suggest starting there and say, hey, do you love your Starbucks? And do you eat Starbucks every single day? And are you eating lunch either at Starbucks or going out with the buddy, your pals for lunch every day? Because those little trips are really what adds up. And so I actually did a little cost analysis for you because I've done this before for calories when I've been working with clients and they are trying to, you know, trying to lose weight and we we do an overview of their diet. And a lot of the places where people don't realize calories add up is liquid calories and snacks. And so I've done this before for calorie counting with um, coffee drinks in Starbucks. So some of the more common drinks, you know, and if you're just getting a black coffee, honestly, that's great and that's really beneficial. But let's be honest, most of us love the creamy, sweet goodness of coffee. And that's why we go to Starbucks because they make fantastic drinks. So just a couple of, of, you know, the typical drinks that people can get, pumpkin spice lattes, which are probably the most common, is about 390 calories for a grande uh, cup. If you love the frappuccinos, the java chip frappuccino is about 560 calories. That's a lot for someone who's trying to manage their weight. Now, when we talk about money, it's kind of the same thing. We're budgeting calories. We can budget for our finances as well, too. The pumpkin spice latte is about $5.75. Same with the Java chip frappuccino. Obviously, this might be different based on where you live and the season that it's in. But in general, you're paying about $6 for like a grande cup of coffee. Do the math, right? That's six times five. If you're doing this every single morning on your way to work, that's 30 bucks a week. And the math for 52 weeks a year is about $1,560, so $1,560. That is a lot. That's a lot of money that you could either put towards loans or towards savings or put in an IRA and actually make money for you. And so if you can look at that and think, 
okay, maybe I can just buy either a drip coffee machine or on a Black Friday when Nespresso or all these other coffee companies have a pretty good deal. You know, you can get a good, a, a nice coffee maker for less than $100 and just buy the pods on your own. The cost savings is huge there. You would at least save $1,000 a year by just making your coffee from home. And the same goes for lunch as well too. And, you know, even if you are just going out to fast food, which honestly isn't that cheap anymore. You know, we are in just a crazy time where everything is so expensive and inflation is just unreal that even fast food, I mean, if you go to your typical, you know, fast food restaurant, whether it's McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, Subway, it doesn't matter, you're at least spending $10 at minimum, you know, and and it's going to be upwards of that. And so 10 times five, if you're eating out five days a week, that's 50 bucks a week right there. So just looking at those two things, what's your morning routine like? Are you getting breakfast out with coffee and or do you eat lunch out all the time? Those two places are a really good place to start to consider, okay, where's my money going and what can I do to replace that? And so we already talked about making your coffee from home and I'm a big proponent of that. But also I think we need to start preparing our lunches and we'll get into that a little bit more because I have some hacks for that because I know we're all really busy. I mean, I'm a really busy working mom and making a lunch can sometimes be tricky, but I have a smart way that you can do that. And we'll talk about that, you know, a little bit later on, but packing a lunch is so, so important and it doesn't have to be fancy. Like it could be very fancy from leftovers, but it also could just be a peanut butter jelly sandwich, an apple and a cheese stick. Like sometimes I didn't grocery shop and that was my lunch, you know, like a second grader, but Hey, that's pretty cheap. And if you are on a budget and you're trying to save for a house or to pay off your loans, that's a really good place to start because peanut butter and jelly and bread really is not that expensive. And apples tend to be a really inexpensive fruit that you can buy as well too. And then just throwing in some other snacks to kind of fill you up throughout the day is a great place to start. That's awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time to run those numbers for us. Like you said, about $1,500 if you're purchasing a coffee almost every day of the week throughout the year. You can think of that as that's a quarter of maxing out your Roth IRA at least. It's at least a close to a quarter. Now it's up to 7000 that you can contribute a year. So yes, you can always think about the opportunity cost when you are trying to decide where to put your money. What are you missing out on if you're choosing to spend your money in certain areas? I'm definitely not a person that says, Never buy Starbucks drinks, never buy lunches out. It's all about what you value spending your money on. And if you truly value those things and feel like you have enough income to do that, it's okay to treat yourself every once in a while. But like you touched on, probably not make it a daily habit, especially if you're purchasing those things that are really high in calories and just aren't serving you for your physical health as well as your financial health. Yep. Yep, exactly. There's a lot of calories that's wasted in those sugary coffee drinks too. And so all of us are, you know, it's a new year. We're all trying to tighten up our our diets as well too. So just cutting out some of those sugary drinks is a really good place to start. Awesome. And then the next point of discussion that I want to touch on too is sharing tips about how to limit the amount of food that we waste overall. Yeah. So this was actually a really interesting one. And I did some research to prepare for this interview with you. And this was really fun. And I came across an awesome resource. But I found this very interesting fact. And 40% of all food in America is wasted. That is massive. So in considering what that looks like monetarily, if a four-person family loses at least $1,500 a year on wasted food, 
That's unbelievable. Wow. So now if you're looking at $1,500 from coffee and lunch and $1,500 from food wasted, if you can fix those two and flip them, you know, you could now be saving upwards of $3,000 just by correcting those two things right there. So this it was huge and was really, really eye-opening as to how much food is wasted. And then it made me think like, that is true. Just looking at my life and my kitchen, how much food I actually do throw out. And that could be like the spring bag of lettuce that I let wilt and now it's gone bad or the leftovers that I really didn't eat. And it's been a week now that I didn't have it or the bananas that browned too long and they're still sitting on the counter, right? There is a ton of food that we waste as Americans. So there's a really, really cool resource I would love for you to share with your listeners. I have no affiliation with them at all. I just thought this was really unique and they have some really cool, helpful resources on their website. It's a website that's called savethefood.com, savethefood.com. Super cool website. It's got amazing ways to help you reduce food waste. So they have a few interactive things like a dinner party calculator. So if you put in, yeah, I'm having a party at eight, it will actually help you decide how much food you need to purchase for each individual and not have too much in excess, which I thought was kind of unique. I've never seen that before. They also help you create a meal plan with perfectly portioned um, shopping lists. So again, you don't buy too much because that's usually what we do. We overestimate how much we need and then we're kind of like, shoot, I don't know what to do with all this extra leftovers. It also has a really fun portion that has some recipes for how to cook with like all your extras. So like cilantro stems, it has a recipe for what you can use with cilantro stems and then what to do with like overripe avocado or an overripe banana. So they have recipes for all these things that you would probably otherwise throw away. And really anytime you're throwing food away, you might as well just throw three or $4 away because it's the same thing. And so this website I thought was super, super fun. They also have an interactive storage guide because that usually is what happens, right? We buy fresh herbs and don't use it for three or four days and they're already wilted or they're already you know, moldy from sitting out in the fridge. So they give you some optimal storage tips and you can literally go in and search like, okay, I have, I have asparagus. What's the best way to store it? So it increases its life, you know, shelf life. And so for, for asparagus, you can either put bundled stocks upright in a bowl or a dish with an inch of water and then put that in the re- refrigerator shelf, or you can just wrap the cut ends in a moist paper towel and then put it in a breathable bag in a high humidity drawer in the refrigerator. And that actually doubles its its longevity and it increases how long you can actually use it for, which in turn prevents you from having to throw this away because you forgot about it and it's been a week after you went grocery shopping, right? So I thought that was a really cool interactive tool and a way to not waste food. So I would suggest your listeners go over there and, and, and just get, you know, explore that page a little bit because I'm sure you'll find something that will help you with foods that you typically end up throwing out. That's awesome. I really appreciate you sharing that resource and taking the time to test it out and play with it a little bit so you can provide some feedback on it. I'll make sure to include the link to that website in the show notes for today's episode so that the listeners can definitely check it out as well. I also want to touch on with you when we're trying to save in the sense of time or money when it comes to our food and our nutrition, it's so challenging 
to decide, you know, do you try to spend more money on foods that seem more nutritious, at least on the surface, it can tend to feel that way where lots of vegetables and fruit or, you know, high quality meats can seem like they're more expensive overall? Or do you try to save on time where you're purchasing food that's already prepped for you? And that's just easier because like you said, for the parents out there, very challenging for time. And then for the rest of us who don't have kiddos yet, but we're still working as clinicians or doing other things, it's still really tough to find the time in the day to meal prep or cook nutritious foods and things like that. So could you share some examples about how to save on time and money when it comes to nutrition? Yeah, and this is such an important thing to consider and just think about it for yourself and for your family because you need to decide what your goal is. And it might it might vary from season to season, right? So if you're in the season where you are working your butt off and your time is money, this might be the time where convenience food is better for you versus if you're in a season where you're really, really trying to save for a big purchase or to pay your loans down, this is not the time where you need to you know, find those easy to prepare meals. This is a time where you probably are going to need to spend a little bit more time in the kitchen preparing the foods because you are saving more money. So I kind of broke it down into what are we looking at? Are you wanting to save time? Or are you wanting to save money based on the specific food? So for example, for salad, if you're wanting to save time, This is when the pre-chopped, pre-washed veggies like a salad kit are perfect because you literally open the bag, throw it in a bowl, you've got the dressing, you've got the crunchy toppings, you have everything, and you're ready to go. And so for those of us who are rushing and who can barely bring a lunch, this is a really good option. Sometimes you can save money on these as well too because they are sometimes, you know, buy one, get one at your supermarket. So you can shop those sales as well too. That is an option. But they tend to be much more pricier than the, you know, your traditional romaine lettuce heads that need to be cut and washed and prepped. Because again, you're paying for someone to do that preparation for you in the prepackaged foods. So if you want to save money, that's when I would suggest you buy the whole lettuce. That's not pre-washed. That's not cut. It doesn't look pretty. But you're again going to be saving money if you are the one that's doing all the preparation. The next thing that you want to look at and consider is meat. So do you need to save time? So you could save time by buying pre-cooked, pre-shredded meat already. Most grocery stores will have this. And so shredded pork is a really good one. And you literally, it's already cooked for you. Throw it in a pan with a little rice and beans and you have a whole meal. So now that only took you maybe 10 minutes to prepare those foods. But it's much more expensive to buy pre-cooked, pre-seasoned, pre-shredded meat as opposed to buying a whole chicken. And now you have to de-skin, de-bone, and get everything ready for it. But a whole chicken is much more inexpensive than buying it prepared for you already. So now we've got the lettuce, we've got the meats. Let's talk a little bit about fruit because fruit comes pre-peeled, it comes pre-washed, it can come pre-cut as well too for you. So think about like watermelon. You can buy watermelon chunks already done for you, but that's a time saver. If you need a money saver, I would suggest you just buy the whole watermelon and take it home and cut it up yourself because you're going to save at least 3 to $4 if you buy the entire watermelon, plus you're getting a ton more for your money. So you're going to be essentially buying in bulk when you're buying the entire fruit as opposed to just buying the few cut up pieces. Cheese is another place that you can consider you know, a time or money saving hack. 
If you buy shredded cheese, it's already done for you, but you can buy cheese on the block and shred it yourself. And that tends to be a little bit more inexpensive as well too. Cheese is another one that tends to be buy one, get one as well. So I always suggest if something is buy one, get one, you should buy that because you're getting one entire portion for free. So that's kind of like a, a no-brainer. The the next one that I really think people can save a lot of money on is the starches. So, you know, for time saving purposes, this is my favorite way to save time when I'm rushing for dinner is to buy the pre-cooked rice packets because you literally just throw it in the microwave for 90 seconds and it's ready. And so on those nights or weeks where I'm working like crazy and I don't have time to spend an hour in the kitchen, I will buy the pre-shredded pork. I will buy the pre-cooked rice packet. And then beans are so quick and easy. You literally, you know, take the beans from the can, throw it in the stovetop, and in a minute it's already warmed up. So what I'll do is I'll just warm the rice up in those 90 seconds, warm the beans up, and now I have a dinner. And it probably took me less than five minutes to make. But again, the pre-cooked packaged rice is much more expensive than getting the larger bags of rice that you need to do the preparation for. So you have to decide, do I want to save time in this season that I'm in or am I looking to save money? And if you're looking to save money, just know that it's also going to come with some more work on your part. But if that's your goal, you can totally and absolutely save a lot more money by buying things in bulk. The other thing I I want to stress to your listeners is organic doesn't mean healthier. So if you're trying to save money, honestly, there's no need to buy organic foods. There's a big debate, you know, among really if these organic foods are truly organic because it's really, really difficult to, to do this and there are still pesticides. So go and educate yourself on the USDA website about what it actually means for the USDA label to say organic. Yes, they need to be certified, but there are still allowable pesticides on there. So if you're really, really, really trying to be fully, fully pesticide free, number one, I'd suggest you just grow your own garden if you can. But number two, you know, you can try to go to a farmer's market. Sometimes they can have, you know, less pesticides that are available. But just keep that in mind that it might not be cost effective if you're not getting the health benefits that you think you are. So just make sure if something is marketed, you know, organic, it doesn't mean that it's healthier. Okay, so it means, yes, there are sometimes less pesticides, but there are still some because there is an allowable amount. So the USDA website will go over that in detail, but I don't want my the listeners to think that if they are buying organic and, you know, it's much more expensive, the organic foods, that they're getting anything more beneficial. An organic apple is just as healthy as a not organic apple. There's not really any different in the nutrients within that apple. So if you're really trying to save money, I would consider just not going organic for a lot of those things, especially things that are like packaged. Really, there's not any need to do that. You know, you don't need to buy organic chips. That's kind of just a marketing ploy that you shouldn't fall for. Sure. Yeah, I was going to touch on it seems as though many things that are marketed towards us as being healthy, it's just a label and all about money. So it would be very interesting to know what some of those things are and the myths behind them and the misconceptions behind them and things like that. I have a follow-up question about organic since you touched on it briefly. It sounded like you were referring mostly to produce. What about when it comes to meat? 
Yeah. So, you know, there are standards and that a hundred percent, there's going to be less, you know, antibiotics and there's going to be more overhead and oversight on these farms that are certified organic. But that is the important thing that all consumers educate themselves on is even the USDA label has certain definitions for what foods and products can put that label on there. So just because something says natural or contains organic ingredients, it doesn't meet the same standards as the USDA organic label does because there are set guidelines for that. So just make sure that you're aware and you're not falling for any of those, you know, shiny, healthy labels because they don't mean the same things. But in general, meats that are organic sometimes do mean that they are antibiotic free. But, you know, there's also been some things, you know, some organizations have shown that some of these farms that say that the animals are free-ranged or that they are grass-fed or whatnot, sometimes aren't. Yeah. So, and that's the sadness of the reality of our our world today is we're sometimes lied to. And this doesn't mean all farms. I know some cows have really wonderful lives and some chickens do too. But there have been cases where investigations have shown that they weren't free-range. And so just making sure you're buying from a really, really reputable, reputable company if you are trying to go, you know, that route with meats, you know, eggs are kind of an easy thing to, to buy now from individuals, especially with COVID. I mean, everybody became like a chicken farmer with COVID. And so sometimes you can get eggs just from like a friendly neighbor who has their own chickens. So that's kind of a fun thing that you can do. But, you know, if you, if you're in the grocery store, yes, I would love for you to, you know, try to go for the USDA organic meats, they will have less antibiotics. They, they tend to have animals who are well cared for, but they are also much more expensive too. So you you have to make that choice for your family yeah. and don't have guilt or allow society to put guilt on you. If you buy the store brand chicken, I buy store brand chicken. I don't always buy, you know, organic meat because sometimes it's not in the budget for that yeah. week. But I know my family is still is still well fed. So you do have to make that decision and educate yourself and just say, no, hey, our family rule is we're doing organic meat because I don't want the extra, you know, nitrites and extra pesticides and extra antibiotics in our meats. But that's kind of the the choice that you have to make for your own family. But don't feel bad if that's not within your budget. Yeah. That's awesome. And I like how you touched on chickens briefly. We don't personally have chickens, but I know family members who have had them and they can be a great way to also help with the food waste too, where it sounds like they eat almost any type of food leftovers. So then you can be feeding them your leftover or wasteful food and things like that, but then you're still getting eggs from them. And that's really cool. And touching on the beef or meat where they have organic labels. Another consideration is to try to buy locally from a source that you find and you can order a quarter of a cow, half of a cow, then that can be also a way to save on money as well, depending upon the cost of it too. For sure. And it always depends where you live. You know, if you if you live in kind of that community or that area, sometimes you can purchase it online and it can get shipped over to you as well too. So again, you know, you're always kind of in this dichotomous state of like, what's my goal and my priority right now? We talked a little bit, is it is it I need to save time or do I need to save money? And same with the meats. Do I need to save money or is the quality of my meat the most important? And I might spend a little bit more money there, but I might save 
on the starches. And I might have a little backyard garden with tomatoes and some, you know, romaine lettuce that I can grow myself. So you do have to kind of think and consider for yourself what your priorities are and what is feasible for you. Exactly. I really love how you presented not to have guilt about it too, because, you know, working in medicine, we can feel as though we have this high standard of what our diet or nutrition components should be. And while there's a big truth to that, at the same time, you can't always eat nutritiously in the sense of everything 100% organic or everything completely pesticide-free all the time in life. Because like you said, even if it has those labels, it's not always accurate and you need to kind of pick your battles in life. So I appreciate that you shared how to do the best you can and make a decision and feel confident and not guilty about the decision that you make. I love that you said that because I actually have a a friend of mine who's a dietitian and she wrote an article and it was called, I ate a corn dog, confessions of a dietitian. And, you know, people think even in, in the medical world, people think that dietitians are like the perfect eaters that we always eat our seven fruits and veggies a day and we don't ever eat anything fried or greasy and we don't ever have any sweets in our house. And that's not the case at all. You know, we're humans too. Like I love cheesecake, so I'll have some cheesecake every once in a while. But her article went on to say like, yeah, I actually like, she liked corn dogs. So she wanted to have a corn dog, I think with her kid or wherever. But there are other things in her life that she doesn't ever have because she doesn't enjoy them. So she's, you know, when I'd say, I don't have sodas and I don't have all these other things because I don't enjoy them. They don't bring me pleasure. So I don't see a need to do that. But it's not because one is healthier or not. Sometimes we can just make our food decisions based on what do you love? Do you, do you love corn dogs? Okay, have a corn dog every once in a while. It's okay. And it's kind of, you know, you have to kind of consider that for yourself of like, you don't have to be perfect all the time. Everything doesn't have to be organic and the best quality of the best quality because it's not real life. It's not reality. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about how you as a dietitian and a PA can share different hacks for feeding a family or for feeding very busy healthcare providers as well. This is a big one, right? I mean, it's hard. <laughs> feeding a family is hard. You've got multiple dietary preferences, especially you've got littles going around. I talk on my podcast probably every other episode about handling picky eaters because that's just every parent's challenge is that their toddler won't eat, you know, meat or they won't eat vegetables. And so you've got different preferences. Your, you know, your spouse might like a certain food and you might not. Now we're trying to budget, so we're trying to consider the money situation, and we're really busy, right? We we have full time jobs. And so feeding our families is hard, but it doesn't have to be. You can keep it simple. And I am a huge fan of keeping it simple because work in and of itself is difficult enough. Honestly, life and the society that we live in is difficult enough. I firmly believe that food and the dinner table should be the least stressful area in our lives. This is where we should come together as a family and just enjoy each other's company and talk about our day and listen to funny stories of what happened and cry about something that's sad that happened or celebrate our successes. Think about how it is for adults. We love going out on a date night. Why? Because it's something special. We get to get dressed up and go somewhere fun and somebody brings us the food and it's all about the environment and the connection that we get to make. And that's why I love family meals so much because it is all about the connection that happens at that dinner table. 
And it it could be over grilled cheese sandwiches and soup. And it that might be the most beautiful dinner you have with your family. And I find if you stress less about the actual food you're bringing on the table, you're going to connect more with your family. If you kind of take that pressure off, I have to be the perfect Pinterest mom or dad preparing this meal and it has to look beautiful and there have to be three sides and you know it has to be cut nicely and we have to have a place setting. Honestly, if you throw that out the window and you just say, you know what, kids, we're eating on paper plates today and we've got you know bagels with cheese on top for dinner. That's, that's it. And we're going to talk about our days. I think that's awesome and I think that's beautiful because – you're also showing your kids that like you cherish and value them. You want to hear about their day. You're not so focused on kind of the superficial like perfection of your meal. Now is having a beautiful, perfect home something to celebrate and be pr- proud of? Yeah, sure. If that's you, please do that. We need more people like that. But if it's not comfortable to you and it's not your jam, don't feel the pressure to do that. And so I think keeping dinners simple is so important but also helping you with the time. So I'm a huge proponent of a crock pot. I love my crock pot. It is actually going right now because I have worked all day on my own podcast and I actually go into work later tonight. So I'm a very, very busy working mom, but you can actually have your food cooking while you're doing something else. So crock pot meals are a working parent's best friend. And again, you can buy that meat pretty cheap because you can just buy a big bulk of it. You can buy a few different, you know, chicken breasts, few, few pounds of chicken breast or a huge, you know, amount of a pork tenderloin pot roast and just throw it in there. And sometimes I don't know what I'm making, but I just need chicken done. So I'll just put it in with a little bit of garlic and pepper and some water just so it's cooked. And then I'll flavor it later, especially if I'm not on my game and I really didn't plan well, because now I've got cooked shredded chicken that I could throw barbecue sauce on and make like pulled chicken sandwiches. I could throw taco sauce on and make either burritos or tacos or nachos. I could put a little lemon, you know, a mojo seasoning and put that with some noodles. So shredded chicken in the crock pot kind of plain is a busy mom's or dad's best friend. The other thing that I love about crock pots is because you can cook once and you can eat that multiple times. So again, you can cook that and make two or three meals from that that chicken breast alone. I named those three, right? And you could easily make a really big batch of rice and use that as the side for all three of those meals. I promise you, your family won't really mind. If you want to change it up, maybe one night you put a little bit of sprinkle of cheese on the rice and now you've got cheesy rice. Maybe the next night you put a little, mix it with a little bit of corn. And so now you've got like a little bit of a sweet flavor to it. And then the last night you can throw some black beans on it with the tacos. So you're still, you know, you've only used the base of chicken and rice, but you've made three different meals. And I love using dinner leftovers as a lunch. It is so easy. You have to clean up dinner anyways, throw what you have in a Tupperware, and now you have lunch prepared. So now you're saving money for the next day. The other what the other thing that I really love to do is a few easy dinners are something called sheet pan dinners and you can just google sheet pan dinners it's kind of like a new wave of things and it's literally that you just throw whatever you're trying to make on a sheet pan and you bake it all together so chicken breast is a really easy thing to do this with with potatoes and either like broccoli or green beans or a different vegetable and you pop it all in the oven and you cook it for 20 30 minutes and now you have 
all things, the entree and the two sides prepared for you within 20, 30 minutes. So it's a pretty easy one. The other one that I really love for kids is, and this is sort of fun to do either on a weekend or like a Friday night when you're just exhausted, is a leftover board. It Think of it like a charcuterie board, but you're just putting out all the leftovers. And it actually doesn't have to make sense at all. So literally from the week, you can put out your chicken parmesan if you had maybe one chicken breast and some pasta. You could put out the you know, the burrito that you had left over, put that on there. You can put out some pizza. If you if you need to fill it up, put a few grapes. You can put some carrot sticks on there. Whatever you have left over, warm those up and just kind of throw it on a board and let everybody pick off of that. Again, it's really, really fun. Kids love this because they get to choose what they get to eat. They get to talk about it. It's, you know, it's fun because it doesn't make sense. It's not this perfect meal. It's also a great way to not um, waste any food because you're trying to just use up some of those some of those leftovers as well too. The other thing that I really like is having themed meals every week because this takes the guesswork out of it. So you know every Monday you're are, you're limited to these themes. So I'll give your listeners a couple of ideas, but you can always Google this. You don't have to come up with this on your own, but. Meatless Monday, you know, is a huge kind of craze and a lot of people kind of jumped on board with this as a way to eat more plant-based proteins and more vegetables, which I think is fantastic. But every Monday is Meatless Monday. And so all of your dinner options are going to be around that. You're going to have basically a vegetarian meal. It could be something as simple as grilled cheese and tomato basil soup, or you could just have some rice and beans, or you could have a tofu scramble, something like that. So Meatless Mondays are awesome. You can always do the meat-free protein options as well too. Tuesdays, I decided to not go with a traditional taco Tuesday because I wanted to give your listeners something that they haven't heard before. So obviously Taco Tuesday is my favorite and I would always go for a Taco Tuesday. Right, totally. (laughs) I wanted to teach you guys something else. So Turkey Tuesday is a really fun one. You could literally make turkey sandwiches. Or if you wanted to grab a turkey bird, you can have, you know, make make turkey. Who cares if it's not Thanksgiving? Make make some turkey meat. Uh, Wednesdays, wake up Wednesday would be breakfast for dinner. Breakfast for dinner is such an easy, quick meal too, because eggs literally can scramble in five minutes, right? So you can make scrambled eggs. You could even make a casserole or a quiche. And that's a really, really quick and easy thing to make as well too. And kids love breakfast for dinner. They think it's so, so, so fun. Thursday, you could do tuna Thursday. So canned tuna fish is a very inexpensive protein for the most part. You could make wraps with tuna. You could make, you know, tuna with kind of rice and beans mixture, like a little casserole. There's a lot you can do with tuna. And then Friday is finger food Friday. So I think that's really fun for families too. Dietitians eat chicken nuggets and dino nuggets too. So don't feel ashamed if you're feeding your family chicken nuggets. It's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But Finger Food Friday is kind of another fun thing. That's where you could sort of bring in the leftover board or even make a charcuterie board for your family, but just something that's fun that you guys get to pick, pick with your fingers. Now, a couple of staple foods that I think your listeners should keep on hand to make their weekdays a little bit easier would be the things that I had talked about, like canned tuna or canned chicken, those are very often buy one, get one, and they can sometimes be pretty inexpensive and, a, and an inexpensive source of protein. So 
canned meats are a really good option. Same with beans. So canned beans are usually less than a dollar still despite, you know, inflation. And they're a great source of protein and fiber for your family. So I am a huge proponent and supporter of beans, any and all kinds. Um, and they're a quick and easy thing to make. You can make a you know batch of chili and it could be meat-free chili, or you can even get, you know, ground beef or ground, you know, tuna or meatless ground beef and make a quick chili. And that's a really filling dinner at night. The other thing that I love is frozen veggies. Um, frozen are just as nutritious as fresh. So don't let anybody on social media tell you or your patients otherwise. They're actually frozen at their peak of ripeness. So sometimes they're even more nutritious because they are, all those nutrients are frozen within them. Now you're going to hear some naysayers on social media say, oh, but when you cook them or you boil them, you're boiling out all the nutrients. And that's not necessarily true. Sometimes, and you might be you know, straining out some of the nutrients, but it's not like you're erasing every good thing that was in that food and you're now basically just eating a piece of paper. It's not, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. And if you're really worried about that, let's say you boil some frozen broccoli, use that water and make a soup then the next day. Use the water as a stock for something else or cook your chicken in the crock pot with that water because the chicken will absorb that. So there's a lot of ways around that, but don't feel bad if you use frozen vegetables. They're just as nutritious. And then I love keeping canned fruits in their own natural juices because that's just a really, really quick and easy way, like a grab and go snack. But it's also a really great thing to add in to dinners if you feel like there's maybe not enough. Like if you just made, you know, rice and beans, you could throw in a little canned canned fruit. Um, just make sure that it is in natural juice or 100% juice because if it's in the high fructose corn syrup, then there's a lot of excess added sugar and we're trying to avoid that. Awesome. Well, that was absolutely completely invaluable information. So thank you so much for taking the time to go through that and break those things down and talk about those different ideas. I'm definitely a huge fan of crock pots too, and they're great for meat. We do lots of chili, as you had touched on, but also lots of soup in the crock pot too. It's definitely soup season here in Minnesota as well. So crock pots are amazing for time saving and then just dumping all the ingredients in there. And in a few hours, you have a meal ready. And I also do love sheet pan dinners. We do chicken fajitas on a sheet pan as well as a Mediterranean type of sheet pan where you do a tray bake with either pieces of chicken, pieces of steak, and then just the rest vegetables. And it is so good with all the seasoning and things like that too. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share all that information, Colleen. I love that Greek sheet pan idea. That is so fun. It's another way that I use chicken in the crock pot is I'll sometimes make Greek like the gyros because you can get pita bread and then it's fun for kids too because they get to kind of make their own. So, so many, so many options that, and honestly, like crock pot and sheep in, Google different recipes because you really can't mess it up. I mean, the crock pot, you're, it's amazing, right? You're like, throw all this stuff in and you're like, oh my gosh, this came out fantastic because it just kind of sits in all the flavors. So it is just such a good investment and crock pots are like 20 bucks. So they are not expensive and a really good way to save from either going out or grabbing fast food 
because they are just so, so helpful. Wonderful. All right. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to go through all this information with us today. I think that it was just a wealth of knowledge with ways to save both time and money when you're trying to eat pretty nutritiously throughout our weeks. So thanks again for being on the show. And where can the listeners find you on social media? And how can they find your podcast and take a listen? Yeah, so I am on Instagram. I'm really active. I think Instagram is just so fun. I make a lot of informative reels and everything like that. So I'm on Instagram. My handle is at exam room nutrition. I'm also on LinkedIn if anybody follows on LinkedIn, LinkedIn, and it's also Exam Room Nutrition. You can listen to my podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Most people listen through Apple or Spotify, and you just have to search Exam Room Nutrition, and you can find me online too. I've got a nice website at examroomnutrition.com. Wonderful. I'll make sure to include all those links in the show notes so people can find you, follow you, listen to your show, things like that. And I really encourage the listeners, if you found today's episode valuable, that you not only share it with your colleagues in the healthcare setting, whether they're PAs or other healthcare professionals, but you also consider sharing with your friends and your family because this information was definitely applicable to the majority of the population out there. So definitely go ahead and share this episode as well with those in your community that could benefit. All right, Colleen, thanks so much again for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Kat.